Welcome to Call to Action, a School Sisters of Notre Dame Central Pacific podcast. In season three, we will have guests join us to share how their work and their commitment to SSND's corporate stance for comprehensive immigration reform plays an important role in transforming the world through education and awareness. We look forward to discussing this topic on migration together as we stand in solidarity. Well, welcome to another season of Call to Action, a School Sister of Notre Dame podcast. I am Sister Anna Marie Riha, and I am excited to be back again. And with me is uh, my new co-host, Adam Schicker. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be on the podcast and be a part of School Sisters of Notre Dame and very much interested in this topic of comprehensive immigration reform and getting a little bit more educated on the topic. Yeah, I'm excited. This is the topic for our season. It's a corporate stance by the School Sisters of Notre Dame and the importance today for that. And our first guest that we have is Sister Roseanne Ficker. Could you give a little introduction to her? Yeah, I'm excited to have uh, Sister Roseanne with us. She is a school sister of Notre Dame who for many years of her religious life has worked with immigrants and worked with many people in the situations that are affected by the lack of comprehensive immigration reform. And so she has a wealth of knowledge. I'm thrilled to have you and welcome Roseanne. So if you could introduce yourself a little bit. Thank you, Sister Marie and Adam. Uh, yes, I uh, I am uh, Sister Roseanne Ficker. I was born on a farm in uh, southern Minnesota, a little German establishment called New Trier, because we came from Trier, Germany. I have five brothers and five sisters, and I entered the convent having completed my high school at Good Council Academy. But I was educated mostly in Minnesota, and I got my master's degree at Marquette. As a school sister of Notre Dame, I started out in primary grades. Six years later, I was asked to go to secondary uh, school. And so then I taught in Minnesota, Iowa, state of Washington, and the state of North Dakota before I went to Guatemala. I spent uh, from 84 to 88 in uh, a beautiful town called San Lucas Tolimán and uh, worked with the orphans there. So that was my very first very concrete experience with the results of policies. So then you really had a chance to experience what life was like and why people would even choose to immigrate. How did you transfer what you learned in Guatemala and living among the people to your pastoral experience here in the United States? I think number one was to really hear the hearts of the people, which I began in Guatemala. You know, as school sisters, we always want to hear the people first and really listen to their hearts. That's what I really learned from Guatemala and was always inspired by their faith. And how does that affect putting the corporate stance into practice? Yeah, and really just to talk a little bit about why do we have a corporate stance on comprehensive immigration reform? You and I can talk a little bit about that, Roseanne, that it really comes from our roots of who we are as School Sisters of Notre Dame. In 1847, the School Sisters of Notre Dame were invited 
to come to the United States to work with immigrants. The German community had come to the United States. They needed teachers who spoke German. And so our sisters came over to work with that community in education. When we got here, we came to teach girls, but then found out that a lot of the German boys were also not being educated. So that was a major shift in our foundational roots. You know, do we accept boys? <laughs> and eventually, of course, we could see that. Yeah, that's very necessary. Very early on, we were trying to adapt to the needs, the urgent needs of the time. And even today, we continue to minister to the immigrant population. Some of them are refugee populations from other parts of the world. Our sisters are involved with outreach efforts, pastoral ministry, visiting detention centers, teaching ESL, English as a second language, a lot of ministry with the immigrants. With Ukraine, our sisters, there are some Ukrainians that live, they're living with some of our sisters in Europe. It's extremely contemporary. Working with the immigrant community, we become very aware of the needs. That's why we really created this comprehensive immigration reform, that it's a call to the church, to society, to really say, how are we treating our immigrant brothers and sisters? And they are our brothers and sisters. So to look at that and say, you know, we have an immigration system that's really broken. We want a country that, that treats everyone with dignity. You know, you were mentioning, Roseanne, the fact that we came and initially to teach girls, but we ended up teaching boys also and responding to the pastoral needs of the entire family. So you see that importance in when we talk about comprehensive immigration reform, that how do we help protect families, keep families together. I'm just going to add that our founders, Mother Teresa Gerhardinger, had that a whole concept of as the family goes, so goes the, the area and then the region and the state and the world. You know, she always had that vision. That's because women were not educated. She saw that that was very, very key. So when we look at families being separated by our immigration policies, that is so opposite of what we feel God wants in our country. Yeah, I, I was going to add to that. For listeners who want more information on our stance on immigration reform, they can go to ssndcp.org under the advocacy section, and you can find the whole corporate stance. And when you were talking about treating people with dignity, that line in there of we believe in dignity of each human person in the image and likeliness of God, that just hit home. With me, just because I think when we in America talk about issues, it's it's almost like this nebulous thing, its own thing. And I think sometimes we forget that it's people. The issue is dealing with the proper care of people that are entering this country. You know, I, I'm kind of making the point that this is such a hard topic to tackle, but when you break it down, it just seems so easy. What are the things that are really the obstacles, the things that are keeping us from moving towards reform? And that's a great question, Adam. It is complicated. And so you can't separate out individual pieces without looking at it as a whole, but at the same time, breaking it down. Our immigration policies have not kept up with the times. We are looking at what's happening globally as well as locally, but what's not working within the system. Maybe you can say a little more, too, Roseanne, about what you see of the immigration needs in the United States. 
it's complicated is because there are so many myths out there. I'll just give you a concrete example. This is not too many years ago. We had a parish council meeting and one of the men looked straight at me and he said, why are you working with those criminals? Uh, he's a member of the parish council. He said they're criminals because they have broken the law. They have come here without papers. So that makes them criminal. Many of them think that they don't pay taxes or there's so many, many very, very wrong myths out there. Me and Sister Anna Marie have had discussions about how lack of education is a big part of the issue and probably leads to a lot of controversy. What have you found is the best step towards better education on immigration reform? This comes out of my first year working in pastoral ministry. There was an elderly lady well in her 80s, and at that time, 80s seemed really a lot of years, <laughs> but her name was Florence, and she used to come. She couldn't speak a single word of Spanish, but every Sunday she sat with, and they were mostly men that were migrant people at that time, and she sat and had coffee and donuts with them. And I said to her one day, Florence, I am just so, so amazed at what you're doing. She said, we did such a bad job with the Native Americans and then with the Blacks. Now we have a new opportunity. And I thought, wow, I believe that that is key number one, that one-on-one -on -one having coffee with somebody, whether you can speak or not, the I speak, you know. I also had the opportunity to live for a number of years in Guatemala. So to be with them, and I'm sure that was your experience also, that to see their their life situation, and they just were looking for the best for their families, the places where we have a lot of violence. And so to escape that violence and to protect their families, that's the essence. It's the gospel value. Who are we as gospel people? And for us as school sisters in Notre Dame is that dignity of each person that we've mentioned prior. And if we can help people relate to one another in that way, I think that makes a difference. You know, for people who don't have a calling to join a ministry, I think they lose sight of the connection between religion, faith, and real world problems. Can you speak on how faith has helped you promote change with immigration and immigration reform and maybe how people can pull from their faith to help themselves make even small change in their daily lives? Well, yes, and the small change can be a really major one. I think faith is so, so key. The faith element is that constant struggle, especially if you're working with a mixed uh, cultural group to see the beauty when we can respect the culture, even though we don't understand a lot of it, and to let the folks themselves explain part of what their deep, deep faith is all about. I remember the Guatemalan children who were praying for the ones that killed their parents in front of them, praying for them in a loving way. I mean, talk about faith. And I think it's really important for our audience to know that we also understand it's a very complicated issue. Unfortunately, it gets politicized. That's not our intention to get involved in any, any polarization of that nature. But to recognize that the system is broken, it's dysfunctional, it does need to be fixed, that any kind of system can only be fixed politically when it comes to laws and legislation, but we can fix our hearts. And I think that's really what you're saying, Sister Roseanne, is we can fix our hearts and be open to others to treat them as human beings. We recognize that 
Every nation has a right to protect their borders. But we also believe that we need to do it in a just and humane way. We believe that every person has dignity. How do we protect families? How do we keep families intact? The system is so broken that there are massive backlogs. Someone can apply for certain kinds of visas and end up waiting 15, 20 years. Yeah, wow. I see your face, like, Adam. That's yeah, it's like half of a lifetime. Yes. Or... <laughs> so then people end up being forced to do things that would be what we would define as illegal. But it's just, it's survival. I'd like to hear situations that you had to come in to help the immigrants that you were helping maintain that level of dignity and really give us a more sense of what immigrants feel on a more firsthand basis. One that sticks out to me really, really strongly is when I was in Minnesota, they were work, literally working out in the field and their housing was some in block places that would look like a garage, you know, and they had a common shower building. There was no curtain. There was nothing where the women, they were showering with their T-shirts on. So I took that to the company. I, I asked for a meeting down there. The very next day, they had dates and things you know, that to block off some area, there was some privacy. I think part of the education point is hearing things like you just shared with us. I mean, I couldn't even imagine being detained someplace and having to take basically a public shower. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that sounds like prison. Hispanic women, that is just so contrary to their sense of self-esteem. Sister Anna Marie, I know we've talked about the education of the issue and trying to break down some of the controversy. Can you speak a bit about the experience you've had working with immigrants, helping them navigate those obstacles? You know, to be able to have an identity. So unfortunately, because of our broken immigration policies, people end up coming up, they want to provide for their family, they have children, but they don't have the documentation. So they really are here without authorization. They want to do everything legally. They just haven't been able to find a way to do that. They end up in places of work that take advantage of the fact they know they don't have documentation. And so they can exploit them in that way. I did see that at times happening with the immigrants. The ramifications that take place for those uh, who are immigrants and are not able to navigate the system, because there is no system to navigate. That's what gets really, really frustrating. And you know, it's crazy. Both of you have touched on things in your stories where it doesn't even make sense to me that immigrants can come into the country and live here, but not have the classification to get things that make them active in society with not being able to get a driver's license, having to work around insurance. And that's all stuff that, you know, we take for granted. You mentioned about myths. People say that, well, they take advantage of our social services, but they can't take advantage of our social services because they don't have social security numbers for those who are here undocumented and unauthorized. I know a family and when they've had children and gone to the hospital, they pay all of their own expenses because they don't have access to a social security number. They don't have access to some of those benefits that we have. It just makes their lives so much more complicated. They are contributing to society. That's the piece. They are taking jobs many times that nobody else wants. 
And it's a huge benefit, and we could pull out the numbers in terms of economically how the immigrant population is helping grow the workforce here in the United States that's needed and helps with the economy, that they are paying taxes. None of us can avoid paying our taxes. So they are doing all that and contributing, but they're not receiving from that in the end. It just got me thinking. I feel like there needs to be a list of things that immigrants can't do. We mentioned, you know, they're living here, they're working jobs, but I don't think that the majority of the American population realize, as you said, Sister Anna Marie, that they're not taking up social services. Sister Rosanna, you've educated so much in your career. Where would be a good resource for people to find out the reality of the situation? I'm going to give you their resource, and then I'm going to tell you two brief stories that would really apply to that. I think probably the really best is, and Sister Anna Marie knows this one really well too, the Catholic bishops of the United States have a website called Justice for Immigrants. They have tons and tons and tons of resources. There's where you can get all kinds of the myths and why are they are myths. What are the resources and, you know, what people go through and they have lots of prayers and stories and that kind of thing. And almost, almost all dioceses now, especially if they have a growing population that speaks Spanish, have a Gosses and Hispanic Ministry Office. And there's resources there too. But I want to tell you two stories because this is one of the other things. You know, it's not only what they can't get from here, I knew a young man who was very close to getting his MD, and he was one of the immigrants that came in. He was working in a chicken factory. He was so close to getting a doctor, but his preparation was not accepted here. But what I did was connected him with a local doctor who just really had a lovely attitude. And so he could do medical things on a volunteer basis with this doctor. Another one was a social worker. She had a wonderful career as a social worker. She cleans houses because her, her license for being social worker is not accepted here. That MD person, he never has ever been able to go back to Mexico. And that's another general thing is many cannot go back. So what a, what a cost, a personal cost because of our immigration. I mean, that brought up another point that doesn't make sense to me. How can you be in a country, not have the opportunities that citizens have and kind of be that outcast, but then also be told, well, you can't go back home and you can't come back. You know, so it's like they're working in America and contributing to the workforce, but yet not only is it an issue of them not having freedoms here from not being a citizen, they can't even choose to go home for fear of losing what they've started to build here. I mean, is there any reform currently being worked on to at least help that? How does free passage work for people who don't have citizenship and are still struggling to have things like visas? Yeah, unfortunately, politically, we have not been working on any comprehensive immigration reform. That's what we mentioned earlier, that it's become more polarizing than unifying. And if we could just work on it. And that's why, you know, it's important to know school sisters, but also the 
United States Catholic Church recognizes that we have this broken system. And it's not about, you know, sometimes people have used the word of amnesty, which is open your doors and let everyone in. And that is not what is being said by us or by the church. It is saying, how do we put in laws that are helpful, that people can navigate? I've shared the story often, you know, previously, Crossing the border without documents was a civil offense. People crossed back and forth all of the time, especially when we think of our southern border. They crossed from one town to the next town. They were doing business or they were working or visiting family. And it was it was just a civil offense not to have had your documents on you. Today, it's a federal offense. We've made the laws more complicated. That's what we're just asking is, could we sit down, everyone, and say, how do we fix this system? What needs to happen that people have to stay in lines for so long to get their visas? Even those who come in with documentations, for example, the refugees, that come in. Again, to navigate our system is very, very difficult. How do we make that easier for people and that they are treated with dignity throughout the process? And that's what we want to continue exploring as we have this podcast. I think we have had a great conversation today. Sister Anna Marie, I know you had wanted our guests to close out with the immigration prayer. Before we have Sister uh, Roseanne do that, can you tell the listeners where to find that and why the prayer is so important? Well, we as School Sisters in Notre Dame and our faith, we turn it all, all over to God in the end. And so that is why to have a prayer to seek refuge in God, as all refugees do, but also to pray for a change of hearts and minds. Our prayer can be found on our website for the School Sisters of Notre Dame, the Central Pacific Province, and also the Comprehensive Immigration reform that we have put down there as our corporate stance can also be found on our website. So I really invite people to do that and bring us your questions uh, that you might have that we can respond to in some of our future podcasts. So Roseanne, could you lead us in that prayer? God of love and compassion, may we always recognize your spirit in the refugee family seeking safety from violence, in the migrant worker bringing food to our tables, in the asylum seekers seeking justice for their families, in the unaccompanied child traveling in a dangerous world. Give us hearts that break open whenever our brothers and sisters turn to us. Give us hearts that no longer turn deaf to their voices in times of need. Give us eyes to recognize a moment for grace instead of a threat. Give us voices that fail to remain silent, but which decide instead to advocate prophetically. Give us hands that reach out in welcome, but also in work for a world of justice till all homelands are safe and secure. Bless us, O Lord. Amen. Thank you, Sister Roseanne, for being with us today and uh, being our first guest on this season of Call to Action. Yes, thank you so much, uh, Sister Roseanne. Our next episode will be available in two weeks, and we will welcome Sister Jean Ersfeld, where we will focus on affirming multicultural reality and the dignity of each human person. Thank you for listening to Call to Action. 
I hope you join us for our next conversation airing every other Wednesday. You can listen to past and current episodes of Call to Action by visiting ssndcp.org forward slash call to action or by following us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your support and remember to follow the School Sisters of Notre Dame Central Pacific Province on Facebook to stay up to date on Call to Action.